Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Tom, and I make a podcast where I log in to celebrities' Amazon accounts. It's called... What a brilliant idea for a pod. There's no original pods out there anymore, but this genuinely is. Oh, thanks, Ben Bailey-Smith. Anyway, it's called... This is good, isn't it? It's clever, this podcast. You should do more. Thanks, Kerry Godleyman. It's called... This is such a great idea, by the way. What a great podcast. Shappy Corsande, you're too kind. The podcast is but called... It's biographical. You can get all sorts of information out of people. This is a very good idea. Thank you, Nick Helm. It's called My Mate Bought a Toaster. I'm going to listen to this podcast. Thanks, Alex Horn. Can you tell your friends? The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello. This is part two of my interview with Gemma Arrowsmith, which also includes the show's regular section, Change of Character. If you haven't listened to part one, then you might want to go back and do so. And if you have, then enjoy as we head into part two. singing people's praises when it's you work with lots of difficult people but like when when someone's really yeah you know beyond the call of duty lovely um and it's for me it's been jeremy dyson and lisa tarbuck two wonderful people to work with um with jeremy dyson it was working in the tracy ullman writer's room which was a baptism of fire because i on the first season of tracy ullman's show i was i never met anyone i just sent sketches in via email yes and my friend had sent me my friend tom golding who is uh in sydney now i think oh yes he'd sent me this uh this uh writer's brief saying mm-hmm. oh i don't think i'm not quite right as a writer for this but i think you maybe are and i'd read it through and i'd sent some sketches off to an email address and they got on they got into the show and uh and so for the second se- season of Tracy Ullman show I was invited into this writer's room and I opened the, and I looked back at how naive I was I just opened this door and it was like oh there's Jeremy Dyson one of my childhood heroes <laughs> there's Jonathan Harvey who wrote Gimme 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 there's mm. um, Georgia Pritchett who's written on Veep and, oh Smack the Pony and yeah, Veep yeah yeah woman. Um, just like oh Lucy Montgomery from you know Tootie huh. Bang Bang and all sorts of things and just like oh my god this is these are insane. Oh, and uh, Kevin Cecil, Andy Riley, who wrote on Spitting Image oh and, and pretty much every sketch show <laughs> since the 80s. Um, and they did the third series of Black Books. They did the third series of Black Books. I mean, like, you know, staggering talent. That was a Batsman's of Fire. It was, it was really frightening. But Jeremy Dyson was just so lovely to me. And um, especially when we then moved on to Tracy Breaks the News, which was mm-hmm. a different show in that Tracy Ullman's show was recorded six months before transmission. Yes. So it was all recorded and then six months went by and then it was, you know, post-production and all that. And then it went out six months later. 
Tracy Breaks the News was done very differently. It was, there were two weeks of filming. Then we got into a cycle of, you, we would be writing on the Friday and Monday, filming on the Tuesday and Wednesday, editing on the Thursday, and it went out on the Friday. My God. Like so we, we're filming much, much closer, and you could do much more topical stuff. So for example, on Tracy Ullman's show, if there was a joke about... Um, Jeremy Corbyn, for example, yeah, this the six months before it's going out, so you'd have to have an alt an alt line because you don't know who's going to be in power in six months. It was such a seismic, sure. it was such a sort of uh, no one knew what was going on from minute to minute at <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. So you were going on, well, we don't know whether Jeremy Corbyn's going to be leader of the opposition in the next 10 days, let alone the next six months. So that we have to have an alt. <laughs> Whereas when you're writing much, much closer to the deadline, you can do much more topical um, jokes about that week's news. So uh, but while both shows were satirical, only Tracy Breaks the News was topical. And I'm always going on about the difference between satirical and topical because I script edit Newsjack and uh, sometimes when I'm teaching workshops... Uh, about topical sketch writing you see the fear come in people's eyes at the idea of writing a topical sketch and it's the same like we're used to teaching drama schools when you mention Shakespeare you see this look in yes. some of the students eyes going oh that's not for me I can't do that and it's the same I see that same look when I say all oh, right we're going to be writing <laughs> topical sketches for Newsjack and you just see some people go ah it's not for me I can't do that um and I always say, look, you do not have to be a great satirist. You don't have to be Amado Inucci or anyone like that or Chris Morris. You don't have to be an amazing satirist to write yeah. a topical sketch. You can have topical sketches that are also satirical. There is an overlap for sure on the Venn diagram. But you can absolutely have satirical sketches that aren't necessarily topical and topical sketches that aren't necessarily satirical. Um, if you listen to Newsjack, it's just writing a sketch based on something that happened in the news that week. Uh, whereas satire is about um, bringing down uh, big companies and politicians, those with power, those in power. So companies, billionaires, corporations, politicians, like pricking their bubble and bring, bringing them down uh, a peg or two. That's your satire. Topical just means it has to be something to do with something that happened that week. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. those. Are, I think those are, that's so important. I, I always think that's important to remember. So on on Newsjack, you can listen for sure. There will be sketches that are also satirical. I remember script editing a really nice one, which was about, this is ages ago now, but what it was a lovely sketch that came in about, there was a closure of a, a police station in the West Midlands, like a really big police station. And the sketch yeah. was great. It was uh, done in the style of like a closing down sale advert. And it was like truncheons, gone, public safety, gone. It was like it was <laughs> a good advert. It was a good, good sketch. And um, yeah. that's an example of a sketch that was topical and also satirical, definitely. But there's there's loads of sketches that are just based on, just, just based on a silly bit of news that week that produces a really silly sketch. You know, like there's, um, there's one that I use as an example in my workshops, which is, I think Stephen Pinker, the linguist, said that uh, the way news is reported, it makes it seem like the world is a much nastier place than it actually is. It's just because we report the news more, we have 24-hour rolling news and everything. It gives you the impression that the world is much more depressing uh, than it actually is because we don't report the good news basically and um, yeah. so that produced a sketch which was uh, what, if, what if news bulletins only told you the good stuff and so it was <laughs> uh, and it was a ni nice little sketch uh, of like 
them trying to put a positive spin on things like hurricanes and uh, and you know it went and to the sport now every team won you know it was like just, <laughs> and that's just a really silly yeah. sketch no one's going to come away from that sketch going mm, god yeah that's such a good point mm. uh, it's like it, i'm really i've really learned something about uh, the world today it's not it's not a satirical point it's just a nice topical sketch if any of your listeners are thinking about writing topical sketches, but you're worried that you're not a great satirist, uh, I don't think you have to be. I think you, it's brilliant if you are and, you know, absolutely flex those muscles. If you have a satirical point to make, brilliant. That's so great. Yes. Um, definitely do that. But if you feel like, oh, I'm just not a satirist, I write silly sketches, you can absolutely still write a topical sketch. That's, um, they're not one and the same. Yes. Uh, I think that's important. That is really interesting to have that yeah. sort of laid out. I think it's from teaching. I think it's from, it's from having to teach topical uh, teach topical sketch writing it's made me have to think about so you know I've been running these sketch writing workshops for the last four years and I really enjoy doing it but it's really it means I think about sketch comedy so much (laughs) um because you have to think about if you you, it's that thing of you have to really really understand something in order to convey it to other people in order to teach other people and so I think about it so much um I think about different games so much and and how to get that across to other people and I think about taste and decency and punching up versus punching down and I think about Mm. all that stuff so much of the time um to get it across to other people um so I, I think by teaching, just as when I was teaching acting in drama schools, I have learned so much from teaching it. I've learned so much about writing and writing sketch comedy from teaching it because I've had to unravel things that I'd sort of thought of abstractly but hadn't ever put into words. Uh, I've had to. <laughs> I've sort of had to be able to put them into words. So That's amazing. It's been a really good exercise, yeah. And I'd like to come on to a particular sketch that you wrote for Tracy Allman. Yeah. Which is satirical. Yeah, it is, yeah. Very much so. So, um, the What Were You Wearing sketch... <laughs> the What Were You Wearing sketch was written for season two of Tracy Ullman's show. So, Tracy Ullman's show, not Tracy Breaks the News. So, we're looking at satirical things, right, not yes. necessarily topical things. So, things that are in the zeitgeist, things that are... Topics that are buzzing around. And so... I decide, I'd had this idea, I do thing called sketches in my flat very occasionally. And at the time I was doing it a lot more. Um, basically, yes. when I got back from Edinburgh in 2012, I decided to put a bunch of my little sketches from the show up online. I'll see if I could film them. And, I, and at the time, I literally had a white, one of those white plastic MacBooks and I recorded some sketches with, literally with the webcam. I mean, like so <laughs> shit. And yeah. it was retweeted by a bunch of people and overnight that sketch this one sketch was seen by i think it was something like a hundred times or maybe a thousand times even the number of people that had seen my edinburgh show across the whole run and i just thought oh i should do more stuff online (laughs) that's what that taught me which sketch which sketch was it was it the exposure one no that was much later i'm just trying to think which one it was i love the exposure one that is so so funny trying to pay my bills with exposure yeah hi mr mayhew Yes, sorry I'm late with the rent again. Now, I wanted to suggest something, actually. I wondered if I could pay you with exposure. Yeah, well, let me explain. Basically, I think this is a really great opportunity for you to have me as a tenant. It'll look really great with your next letting agent. They'll be all like, wow, he had Judith as a tenant. He must be a really great landlord. We should definitely work with him. There are loads of landlords. It's a really oversubscribed profession. So you can't expect to be paid for every tenancy. It's just not realistic. No, I think it was... 
Oh, I, I think it was when I'm interviewing a glass of water. It's about what is about homeopathy and water having memory. So I'm into I'm this I'm this um, uh, scientist who's interviewing a glass of water saying, like, oh, how many people have drunk you? Basically, very silly. I'm here with this glass of tap water who wishes to remain anonymous. So we're going to call him Paul. We've also altered his voice. Paul, do you remember how many people have drunk you? I would say I've been drunk by something in the region of 6 billion human beings, uh, 300 trillion animals, and I've also been osmosed by countless plants. How do you relax? Well, after a busy day evaporating, transpirating or sublimating, I usually just kick back in a nimbus cloud and wait for a heavy rainfall. My favourite place to come down is in the Amazon, but it usually turns out to be Scotland. I mean, like, I can't say it went viral because it was not the numbers that we're talking... When we talk about numbers going viral, that's, like, millions and millions. Sure. didn't get that. But it was, like, a lot more, Way more people saw that than saw my entire Edinburgh show. So I thought, oh... I mean, that's just, like, how theatre works. You, you physically yes. can't get that number of people in. But um, I thought I should do more stuff online. So because of that, I decided to do a bunch... Uh, started a series on line called sketches in my flat and one of the unwritten rules was that i never spend any money at all on it i only do it with stuff that i have around in the flat nice um and i got have loads of wigs i like wigs so i i would play different characters <laughs> in different wigs and so on and i'd had basically i had a, a a note in my note app for sketch ideas and i'd had this idea in my note app for ages which was um what if we treated someone getting mugged in the same way we treat someone who's been raped in that it's like you have a bit of suspicion on you like did you cause it yeah because of how yeah. you address and I'd, I'd had that in my note app for absolutely ages and i was like i'll do that at some point i've just got to think about how to do it on my own in my flat i don't know how i'll do it um yeah. and then when it i was in the tracy on writer's room and i think i pitched that idea verbally and it went down well. It was like the sort of thing they were after. Tracy is into quite biting stuff like that, that she likes sketches that say something and that have a point. And so I pitched that. He actually originally had a, a follow-up, which was someone being burgled. Someone had been burgled and they'd called the police and the coppers had gone, well, I mean, you have got like a pathway right up to your door. So you are sort of, you know, oh. there, was, there was that. Um, so that was the, yeah. the follow-up. And I know that... It only had two drafts. And that's, I think that's a pretty good sign that you've got a decent sketch, that you're not having to patch and patch and patch the sketch with like nine, 10, 11 drafts that you've got. Yeah. You just have a couple of little tweaks and that's the one they recorded. And it's word for word. So I was very used to working on like Newsjack and things where things get changed a lot. Um, like lines get changed with script editors. I've been that script editor and stuff. So I was really amazed that it's like word for word. They did not change anything like on set they didn't go oh can we just change that to this nothing it's like word for word what is written it's an analogy sketch basically the the what were you wearing sketch yeah um you're you're mapping the language of one thing onto the language of another thing so it's it's a straight analogy sketch. What if instead of this, it was this? And this is one of the classes that I teach. I talk about analogy sketches. There are so many. And yes, it is really good for satire. If you don't want to 
make a sketch about the subject itself. If it's too crass or it's too on the nose or it's a bit too rough a subject, you go, okay, well, let's translate that across to a comparable thing. And if you find this thing absurd, why don't you find this thing absurd, basically? Mm. Um, so it's a it's a really good, useful tool for satire. But yeah. um, it can also throw up really silly sketches. There's a, I show a Sesame Street. I show quite a few Sesame Street sketches because they are brilliant. <laughs> there's one, there's a bunch of parody ones that are brilliant. Like there's one called Desperate House Plants. How good is that? Um, That's amazing. So good. And they do a House of Cards <laughs> one, which is called House of Bricks. And it's like a House of Cards spoof, but with a wolf going, well, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. It's great. So anyway, I, good. Uh, I show this analogy sketch, which is like full on Sesame Street analogy sketch, right? And it's... Um, uh, it's Ernie from Burton Ernie, and he's just minding yeah. his own business. And a shady guy in a, like a raincoat kind of comes up to me <laughs> and he goes, "Hey, buddy, uh, you look like a discerning kind of guy. I got something here you might like. Do you want to buy an eight? And he opens his jacket, and he's got a number eight inside his jacket. And, <laughs> um, he says, uh, "Well, well, why would I want to buy an eight?" He says, "Well, you." Uh, you take it home, you put it on your wall. Anytime you want to know how many of arms uh, an octopus has, you look at the eight. Oh, because an octopus has eight arms. Shh, 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 don't tell anyone, but yeah. And it's like, it's a straight up like buying drugs. Yeah, it's like course. a straight yeah. up buying drugs. It's great. I, I love That's that terrific. for the parents. <laughs> great. Um, so yeah. Yeah, your What Are You Wearing sketch went bananas though. Yeah, it it, it, it yeah. did go viral, didn't it? Yeah, that's. I think you can definitely call that viral. I think it had something like 45 million views on Facebook. I know it was It was the number one BBC comedy sketch across all platforms, I think, that year. Yeah. I think it... it I thought it stood a good chance when I sent it in and when I saw it as well as part of the episode. I thought it stood a good chance of being one of the ones they pulled because it would... I mean, as in pulled to put on the on social media yes. rather than pulled, taken off the air. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it stood a good chance of being the one they pulled because it's short, I think under two minutes. So it's really short, which is always good for social media. It's always good for sketch comedy, but it's always good for social media. Um, and it's it's very standalone. It doesn't require any follow-up sketches. It's not a runner. It doesn't have a reprise or anything like that. Uh, and also it, it's the sort of, it's a very shareable, I think it's a very kind of, oh, look, at that's a really good point. I'll share this. Um, rather than just like a fun, oh, that's a funny sketch. It, it makes a point and that's a very Twitter thing that, you know, to yeah. share if it makes a point. <laughs> so I thought it stood a good chance of being the one that they they pulled for social yeah. media. Didn't New York pick it up as well? New York Times wrote about it. Yeah. yeah. Bonkers. <laughs> it's so silly. Um, but that's amazing how that started from a note you had. Yeah. To do as myself, yeah. That's brilliant. I did a, I did a sketch called uh, Goggle Books, which was like Goggle Box, except instead of watching people watching television, you watch people <laughs> reading a book. Uh, very silly. And then watch... I did it as sketches in my flat, just myself. And it was like watching people watching books and then... <laughs> And then watching people watching fireworks and then watching people watching themselves watching the firework videos that they oh, it was just so God. so silly and recursive. Um and then they filmed that for Tracy. So I you can do a side by side comparison of <laughs> a, a properly filmed sketch that they did on Tracy and then me doing it in my flat like <laughs> with the shittiest camera in the world. Um I have upgraded. I didn't just stay on the webcam <laughs> i did get quite a nice um canon g7x mark ii which is like the vlogger's camera so i must stress i have i am not now on a crap uh <laughs> white macbook webcam from about 2007 it has been upgraded so <laughs>
because you've been doing a lot of um as well as being very busy working on uh tv tv shows and radio shows you've been making your own content as well not just with sketches in my flat but also you did your podcast no planet b yeah you got to i think you've got to make your own stuff you, you can't sit around waiting and that was an interesting one because that was that was sketch mixed with you were speaking to actual environmentalists weren't yeah, you and... yeah scientists uh, climate scientists and so on um i think there are Okay, so this this is a great podcast because we're talking about things we are experts in, we, that we are expert in. We are sketch and character <laughs> comedians talking about sketch and character comedy. I do think there's quite a lot of podcasts which is comedians talking about something they don't know anything about. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. There's so many of those. You just go, comedians talk <laughs> about X, and but they're not an expert yeah. in X, which I, I just no. sort of think is an interesting, it's an interesting trend that I've seen. Because of that kind of, well, these these people, they're they're funny, so they can bring light to any subject we talk yeah. about <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> and i thought that it was important i want to do a, a show that involved climate change in some way and i definitely think that you can make comedy about any subject um but obviously taste issues 100 percent come in of course they do and uh, i'm really hot on making sure that like who are we being invited to laugh at that's the that's what i always ask myself like who are we being invited to laugh at um by this sketch uh, uh, is it the per- is it a person that's got loads of power and uses that power badly then you're probably on completely fine ground if you're just laughing at people without any power to change their circumstances it's just cruel and horrible and i don't find it particularly funny so um yeah so i thought absolutely you can you can do comedy about climate change but you you need to laugh at the powerful you need to laugh at the companies that aren't doing anything you need to laugh yes, at like the, the oil companies of, the, and the oil companies the people who are doing the, the pollution in the first place mm. um, and and also to a certain extent laughing at our inability to change to change our uh, behaviors um so i think yeah. that's that i think is completely fine i did think about it long and hard like can you do can you do comedy about uh, climate change? And I think y- the answer is yes. Like, but who are you inviting people to laugh at? That's the key, basically. Yeah. And so I, I did. So, for example, I did a sketch, and this is an analogy sketch. And it was before Greta Thunberg actually <laughs> said, "Act like your house is on fire." I did a sketch where it was like the building is on fire, but people, really? are, yeah, it was, it was the building's on fire, and they're going, mm, "Is there a fire really, though?" Well, tell me when it's really close, and then maybe we'll do something about it. <laughs> uh, and that's a that's a straight analogy sketch, and I think that's making fun of our inability to change our ways so i think that's fine um but i thought sorry to go back to the thing about comedians uh, chatting about things they're not experts in i thought it was important to actually talk to experts i thought that was an important part of that show was to <laughs> yes is to, it's, it's not just me like going on <laughs> uh, about climate change to, I, that was like as soon as i had the idea it's like i have to speak to people who are experts in this so i want to speak to yes. activists and climate scientists um and climate campaigners and people like that. And oh my goodness, I spoke to some amazing um, people. It was uh, brilliant people from the Green Alliance and from Friends of the Earth and from Extinction Rebellion. And, amazing. And it was great. You went along to a, an Extinction Rebellion protest, didn't Quite you? Quite a lot of them, yeah. I went on to loads of those. And uh, there was a thing called the Mothers Rise Up March, which I went to as well. And just talked to people there. It was great. I really enjoyed doing it. I mean, I'm not a journalist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a journalist. I'm not an interviewer. I'm not any of those things. But I enjoyed doing that. And I was invited. So there's a place called the Priestley Centre up in Leeds, which is um, it's the Priestley Centre for Climate Research. Yes. And I was invited. I went up to interview people, but I was also invited to 
give a talk like like I'm an expert in anything but I, I, I was invited to give a talk about using comedy to reach a broader uh, range of people so they Aww. they invited me up there because they were saying look we we are climate scientists and we are some of us are science communicators but we don't reach the right people we don't reach a, we reach people who already agree with us and we reach people who are already interested in climate science uh, or you know pe- other people might find following a university institute like just a bit intimidating or just like I'm not that's not anything to do with me Uh, they're going to just tweet boring stuff so they they were really interested in the idea that like entertainment and comedy can reach people in ways that just here's a here's a scientific paper like you know it's you a lot they were worried that that preaches to the converted it's preaching to people who are already reading scientific papers and are interested in the scientific method sure and so can comedy be used to reach people that regular just science communication can't which i thought was interesting and so i just did a talk i did a talk about about comedy basically and reaching people um with it and how it can and actually interestingly i mentioned something that i've mentioned in this podcast already which was when i used to teach at drama schools and i would mention shakespeare and i would immediately see people shut down and go that's not for me and these would be as i said intelligent people who have been put off by bad teaching <laughs> by boring <laughs> by boring teaching yeah like for example i i went to a school that was about 40 minutes away from stratford on avon and we never ever went to see a shakespeare play really yeah so like why not shakespeare's meant to be performed right you're meant to see it being performed by exciting vital actors and instead all we ever did was like just go around the class each person reading four lines or eight lines of Shakespeare out that we didn't understand and didn't you know it was just and analyzing it to the bone analyzing it to the bone and and um just like (laughs) I remember once (laughs) I, I had a teacher that said uh plays this is all i can't believe this i can't believe i didn't fight it either i had an english teacher that said plays are just 3d literary criticism and you're like no they aren't they are entertainment i hate it oh my god (laughs) just awful isn't it just awful um i mean obviously there's some great teachers out there but my goodness um there are some bad ones as well Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi. 
Hello, my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app and that friends with friends and we're on twitter at friends wf you've you've often been quite uh, vocal about about rejection oh yeah uh, writing rejection and being oh, yeah. rejected and stuff and obviously countless people you know no matter how experienced you are even if you've had a BAFTA winning series on TV you still face rejection yeah how do you deal with that oh man I mean I could talk about rejection for ages um so (laughs) I I feel like I started my career very much as an actor so uh, I went to drama school and I came into the business as as an actor and I think that primed me very well for rejection because you get rejected constantly as an actor. You're auditioning yeah. and you're getting rejection constantly as an actor. Um, and then I, I started to do more writing. I wrote for myself and then I started to write for other people. And I think uh, the rejection doesn't touch me very much. I mean, like if I don't get something, it doesn't really touch me. Um, I don't really feel it anymore. You will have to be, if people who are listening who uh, want to be writers, you will have to be ready for like constant, constant, constant rejection. Yeah. For sure. And that's, I don't really feel it anymore. Um, Mm. I literally just remembered I got an email yesterday morning (laughs) saying I got a thing rejected from Radio 4. And it doesn't even touch me. I I don't feel anything. Like, I'm I'm not even just saying that. I feel, when I started out in in the industry and I get a rejection, I used to feel a little in the pit of my stomach. I, I genuinely can hand on heart say I feel nothing now. But what I do find frustrating is hearing nothing. That's the thing. So yes. I am absolutely fine. And so when um, this producer emailed me yesterday saying, oh, really sorry, I've not gone for this. I, I actually replied saying, oh, please don't apologize. I actually really like it when I get a straight response like this. So often in the industry, mm. emails just, they just leave you out dangling. You don't hear anything. You just hear nothing. Yeah. And I think that's, I feel that maybe that's a, bit of a sea change in the way the industry has gone in the last 10-15 years because I feel like when I graduated and I was just an absolute nobody who'd done nothing in the industry and I was sending out CVs and emails left right and center I would get replies and they would be no a lot of the time for sure they would be no but I would get replies yes I can I can literally start emails you know oh hello I, I've uh, written on the Emmy Award nominated Tracy Ullman show recently and uh, and you just hear nothing you just hear absolutely nothing i can even write i've even written to producers that i have worked with uh, in the past sometimes <laughs> multiple times and yeah. you will you don't get a reply like here's here's this script oh I, or even like if they themselves have done a shout out for scripts of a particular nature and you send them a script that fits that bill and you st- and you have worked with them before and you still hear nothing and, and i'm i'm totally fine with with hearing a no genuinely that is completely fine if anything it releases you and then you can go and pitch it yeah. somewhere else it's like sometimes when i mean I've, I've literally had meetings with producers who've gone oh can you send me that 
script because I'd like to have a look at it. And you send it to them, no reply, chase it up, no reply. Chase it up. It's like, look, it's absolutely fine. I understand you are busy. I am busy as well. We're all busy. Yeah. Uh, and I also understand that it might be a no. That is 100% fine. But please, please uh, do reply to me because you can, uh, I mean, I, I have tweeted out my, I have um, a, a spreadsheet uh, which lists the, the project, uh, what mm-hmm. medium the project's for, whether it's for TV or radio. Uh, yes. Whether it's what what genre it's in. Is it a sitcom? Is it a sketch show? Is it a comedy drama? Like, what is it? Um, and then a, a short outline of like a top line description of what the idea is, who it's been sent to, what the date was it was sent to, what the response yeah. is. You know, you, I've tweeted that out. And it's just like... No response, no response, no response, no response, no response, no response. I mean, it's nuts. The funny thing as well is when uh, your contacts at whatever company have then moved on to somewhere else. that happens so so much, doesn't it? Yeah. I had um, something in with a company and I hadn't uh, been in touch with them for maybe a couple of months. And I got back in touch and I got a thing saying, oh, I've left now. Please contact you know, and then the name of whoever's taken over. Yeah. So then I contacted that person and I got an out of office from them saying, I've now left. Yeah, there you Can go. You co- yeah. And it's just it's like constant. You're like, for God's sake. It yeah, took about like three people to actually get to someone who was still at the company. And even then, still nothing. <laughs> Gosh, that's so funny. I do remember a, a morning when I was sending or chasing, I think, a bunch of produces all the different departments at the BBC and I was sending out all these chasing emails going just checking in on this you know and uh, every single one came back with I'm on leave at the moment I have left the BBC I'm on leave I'm on leave till this day check, check. you know and it was like is anyone is anyone at the BBC I think we could just go and knock on the door because like no one seems to be at the BBC today my goodness uh, I don't I mean I, you know I'm not a producer I don't work in production but it does seem that mm. people move out of their roles so quickly. They really do. And it's definitely, I, I've definitely fallen victim to, oh, you you se- sent it at an unfortunate time just as so-and-so was leaving and so-and-so came in and it slipped through the cracks. Mm. It's, you know, there seem to be a ton of cracks um, <laughs> that my scripts have slipped through over the years. And I, yeah, I do remember. So when you're asked, this is interesting. So when you're asked... Um, by up-and-coming writers, how do I get my scripts to be read by people? The advice that is always constantly trotted out is Mm -hmm. listen to programs and watch programs and make a note of the producer at the end and then send them an email. And I just can't help feeling that that's quite out-of-date advice Um, because you won't get a reply. Like, maybe you will, but you'll be very lucky. Um, I just... I very frequently don't get replies when it's producers I know and have met and have worked with. I I just don't feel like completely unsolicited sending an email to someone. It will, it it very well might end up in their junk folder anyway. They have certain blocks, so it will just get blocked anyway. So whenever I'm asked that, and I'm asked that a lot, how do I get my script seen by people? I always hesitate to give that sort of, advice because it feels so out of date well it does i mean the uh hell the only way i've because i don't have an agent the only way i've been able to have meetings with companies is because i've worked in tv and radio production for about 10 years yeah yeah. so it's building up those relationships but it still took about five years for me to finally go hey you know you hired me as a runner i'm a writer now can I have a meeting with you that's interesting just writing off the people as you say just doesn't cut it 
anymore. No, I don't think so. And also, I'm a writer-performer, which makes a difference as well. So I, mm. I have lots of contact with producers because I've worked for them as an actor. So I've definitely, I've definitely sent scripts off to producers who know me predominantly as an actor. In fact, I've ha- I, I worked on a show for children's where the producer came up I was working as an actor for them and the yeah. producer came up and said, you write, don't you? Well, just to let you know, we're looking, CBBC is currently looking for this. This was donkey's years ago. Ah. But like that's, so I've always felt that acting and writing complement one another and you've experienced that writing and producing, uh, being on the production side complement one another. But I'm often asked this, like how do I get my script seen by people? Uh, by people who are writers, pr- purely and predominantly. Yeah. They, are, they are writers. And that's tough to give them advice because... I, I've made so many of my connections through acting. When I was starting out, so I was probably 20 when I met this guy who was, a, and he was he was very nice, but <laughs> I uh, said to him, you know, you know, how, how did you first end up getting your writing, uh, writing work, getting your scripts shown, everything? Yeah. And he just went, he literally just went, oh, my agent just got me a job on a sitcom. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, I don't know what to do with that advice because one, I don't have an agent. Two, I mean, what sitcom has a writing team now? A writing team, yeah. That's funny. That reminds me of two things. That reminds me of... um, and two people who I respect enormously, but it is like <laughs> there's only so much you can take from the past uh, yeah. in terms of advice. So, for example, if you read, and I highly recommend you do, Michael Palin's diaries, they are wonderful. Yes. But they open in, I think, 1969, and the opening, <laughs> literally the opening page is yeah okay it's like this he says he's 25 he's just had a 13 part series commissioned and he's just bought a house (laughs) in gospel oak and you're just like just a different era it's just a different era um so i think there's that but but i think he he's brilliant in that he's acknowledged in interviews how different the industry is and how different the bbc is yeah um you know there's we all know well maybe you don't uh maybe we we don't all know uh the story of how Press Gang got commissioned, um, Stephen Moffat's yes. first TV series. So his father, Bill Moffat, uh, was a head teacher and a BBC, I think a BBC, and it can't be because it was ITV, um, a TV production was being made at his dad's school. And yeah. his dad said, I've got an idea for a TV show uh, about a school newspaper. And then a few months later, the, uh, the producer of that TV show came back and said, we want to buy that idea, that idea of a school newspaper. And and Bill Moffat said, you can, but my son has to write the pilot. And they and they went, well, we'll, we'll read it, but I can tell you this, no way will, uh, will we be using your son's script. And obviously the, the rest is history. Steve Moffat wrote, is an amazing writer and wrote an incredible script. And then he went on to write every episode of the five seasons of Press Gang, which was um, on CITV and was then picked up for primetime television on Channel 4, which is pretty much unheard of. Now, that's a combination of insanely good luck and amazing talent, isn't it? Like, of course, if his script hadn't been any good, it wouldn't have got picked up. So, you know, Stephen Moffat is an incredibly talented writer. But it also is that tiny little glimmer of of luck that it was his dad's school that was, you know. It's luck and timing. And it is still having that that one person to give you that break or to champion you. It's that person. So it's that person to go, okay, fine, we'll give this a shot. Exactly. There's, I mean, there's that, 
there's that Steve Martin quote, which is um, perseverance is a really good substitute for talent, which is what I always think about. <laughs> um, I think about that all the time. So, I mean, all perseverance is, is broadening your odds of being in the right place at the right time, right? It's like, it's just not going away. So it just means I am here. I am here ready and waiting for when that the opportunity knocks on the door like I'm just here ready um but let's not make any bones about it luck comes into it as well as hard yeah. work as well as persistence and all those and things. that's why put, so many people are making their own stuff now yeah for sure it's putting your work out there so people can see it you know there it is but also and I, I hate this phrase but it is the kind of make your own luck well certainly making your own opportunities I've definitely been in yeah. in audition rooms and the the casting director ever has got one of my sketches in my flat up on their laptop <laughs> so like that's definitely definitely happened and that's why it's good that like my sketches in my flat are absolutely peppered with voices and accents and like oh look at all the different voices i can do and also you don't some of those things are a bit hidden like i could they could have closed their laptop when i walked in i wouldn't have known that they'd been watching that so like those some of those little opportunities that you make for yourself are hidden and they people someone wouldn't have come across you had you not put work out the final section of the podcast is uh change of character it's good yeah change of character it's good it's good (laughs) It's had uh, it's had mixed responses. I think it's good, man. You stick with that. This has been gifted to you by David Reed. Yay, lovely David Reed. And you're gonna love this. The name is Chris. Pss. <laughs> That's so good, Chris. P S S. So who is Chris? Pss. So okay, let me think. Chris. Pss. I've got two two options immediately jump into my head Mm -hmm. um that either he's the office kind of gossip like (laughs) someone who's like hey so i hence the yes hey hey that's a very fast show thing i think having a character called yes it's like hey hey um like or or by the photocopy going so i heard that angela's actually having a divorce but don't mention anything okay and like someone who (laughs) stirs up shit but then doesn't get involved when the shit goes down. Yeah. Yeah, so it'd be like, hey, hey, um, don't quote me on this, but I heard that um, Neil actually collects Nazi memorabilia, but he doesn't want anyone to know. But like, he doesn't want anyone to know about it, but like, definitely, if you look at his Facebook's very locked down, but uh, if you've got, if you share someone in common with him, you will be able to see that he's got Nazi memorabilia in his house, but like, don't say anything. <laughs> definitely don't say anything at the office party later. So there's that. But then I also thought immediately that it could be someone that goes on dragon's den with like really shit um inventions and so i imagine that it would be like crisps would be like right sit yourselves down i am dragons i am looking for uh ten thousand pounds for a two percent share in my business and it would be like the battiest nonsense what would be his invention okay so given his name is crisps maybe it would be uh quiet crisps that you can eat and not make noise. So like packaging and crisps themselves that are 
uh, soggy in some way, so you can enjoy <laughs> crisps without the noise, without yeah, a distraction. Yeah, you can eat them in the cinema. You could eat them in the cinema, for example, without making a noise. <laughs> so it'd be like soggy crisps, um, and that would be. And then you'd, if, if you were doing this in a sketch show, he would keep coming back. It'd be a runner. He would keep coming back with different ideas, like you haven't seen the last of me. I don't know why he's scouse, but he'd be like, you haven't seen the last of me, and he'd be back with a new invention every week. Uh, um, but yeah, let, the first the first in that runner would be Quiet Crisps, I think. I, I kind of wonder whether those two characters could work together. Like, do you reckon he could also be the sort of, hey, you know, you know what I, I heard? I yeah. heard that. And it, it could be like, he could be the sort of shitstone in the kind of, I went on Dragon's Den and they're going to take my... They got some idea. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes out and they definitely don't take his idea and uh, <laughs> he has to face the office the next day. This is all good stuff, man. This is all good stuff. <laughs> what, what office does he work in? What's the day job? Well, like Dunder Mifflin, it's like a, just a nothingy... It's, it's people sharing the same carpet for... Uh, eight hours of their life and entering data on on spreadsheets and or you yeah. know um i definitely did a bunch of data entry jobs like temping jobs when i uh after i left drama school and i imagine it's like that it's just like <laughs> you work in the creative cares? industry we all did that we all did that <laughs> it's just like and i remember like entering a load of um vouchers that you have in airports i had to enter the codes of the vouchers that had been oh used and the vouchers that hadn't been used it's just like five number codes yeah uh, and i and it'd be like that basically <laughs> that would be his job just just the most tedious thing does he have somebody who believes in him or someone who puts up his mum his mum his mum would really believe oh Oh, darling, yes. Um, my son is actually an entrepreneur, you know, uh, which is uh, French for businessman. Yeah, it's be like that. Yeah, he, she'd really believe in him, and maybe he's told few lies, and she she believes he's much uh, more successful than he is, uh, and that he's really still on the bottom rung. Uh, of, oh. of, yeah, I, sweet. I mean, this has actually got Cliff Clavin overtones as well. We were just talking about Cliff from yes, yes. Cheers. Very similar. He's got that inflated confidence though, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I mean, that's such a, a British sitcom staple, isn't it? A sort of a sort of misfounded belief in oneself. Do you reckon he ever builds a winning invention? Do you think he ever yeah. cracks it? Yeah, so I think if this were a, a, a sitcom, in the last episode, it'd be like when Del Boy and Rodney finally become millionaires, which is obviously should have been the last episode. They then That should have been the last episode, yeah. They carried it on, of course, you know, um, which is a, a shame. Um, but uh, that, yes, I think maybe it'd be sweet because British television in particular is so fond of giving a sad ending. So I think it'd be nice to give him uh, a fun ending and he cracks it in the fun. So I think, yeah, in, in the last episode of our sitcom starring Crisps, uh, he would <laughs> unexpectedly, and it would be an accident, he would, it would be sort of an offshoot of another invention. It would be an accident that he, uh, that someone went, well, hey, what's this? This is great. Yeah. And that would shoot him to uh, megastardom and then it would end with him and his mum and maybe his mum has always like struggled for money and he's finally buys her a really beautiful house and the camera pans Aww. out and we all weep. This is really lovely. Ah. <laughs> What a lovely ending to a sitcom that, that finishes the same day it starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for Chris Piss. Or Chris Piss. That's it. <laughs> Chris Piss is a different character. Yeah, completely um, different. <laughs> so, can you please tell me the name of the character yeah. that you are going to give my next guest? I'm going to give the name 
Michael the Fury Pearson. Michael so, the Fury Pearson. Michael, in inverted commas, the Fury Pearson. Oh, I like it. We haven't had a name in inverted commas yet. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but we'll just see. Michael the Fury Pearson. It's been so fun, the the character relay thing. Everyone, everyone has just brought their A-game to it. It's been wonderful. And it's great because it's sort of like populating this imaginary world. I really, do you know what I'd really love? I'd really love somebody to draw a town where these characters... Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. Because someone said to me, oh, so are you going to take these characters and put them in a sitcom? And I was like, no, because that would just be insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't have like nine main characters or ten main characters. But I do like the idea of a picture of an imaginary world where you can see these characters dotted around. Yeah, that's a lovely idea. Who is Michael the Fury Pearson? We shall find out in the next episode of out of character in the meantime thank you so much for being my guest for this episode pleasure thanks for having me thank you Gemma Arrowsmith Hello, ladies and gentlemen, quickly, quickly, we haven't got long. Please listen to the all-new Angelo Sandbelly podcast. It's a family one. Oh, my God, it's hilarious. There's so much muck in it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.